Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Dicebreaker podcast, your weekly podcast coming from the Dicebreaker team live to your homes, <laughs> or the train in roughly five years when everything is back to I thought normal. you were going to say Russia for some reason. <laughs> it is also well, available in Russia. In Russia. <laughs> yeah, I got, uh, not to immediately go off the right, I got an email from the, the iTunes podcast team, whatever it is, iTunes podcast hive mind. It was like, we are bringing your podcast to 20 more places, including Montenegro. And I was reading through the list, and all I could do is read all of the place names in the same style of voice as the Eurovision announcers. So it's like, <laughs> Dicebreaker podcast in Montenegro. <laughs> and, then, but, and then you have that awkward pause. And the presenter just suddenly realises they're live on air. And they're like, Hello, Hi! <laughs> And ours is always like Fern Cotton or someone that clearly <laughs> looks like they've just been sat there for this five-second thing where they get to land as many awkward jokes. Anyway, shall we? let's introduce the team. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, we're doing a podcast. <laughs> joining me, Matt Jarvis, on this Dicebreaker podcast this week is Johnny Chiodini. How you doing, Hello, Johnny? I'm back. I'm all right. Episode six. That's half a dozen if you're not a baker. Um, mm. Very excited to be back talking about tabletop games. <laughs> Excellent. We're glad to have you on talking about <laughs> tabletop games. Uh, <laughs> uh, Alex Meehan, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm uh, uh, the energy. It's going to come. I'm waiting for it. Uh, but, you know, I can always just force it. Well, this is a great opening to a podcast. You're really getting the audience charged. No, no. I've seen your lovely smiling faces. It's it's all the energy I could ever ask for. Chill lo-fi conversation to study to play games to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, finally, speaking of chill lo-fi conversation, we have Michael Wheels Wheelan. Hello, Mike. <laughs> Hello, it's me, Michael Wheels Whelan from Dicebreaker, YouTube channel slash dicebreaker.com. I am not a baker, so this is also half of a dozen for me. Fantastic. Does that mean in about 45 minutes it will be a baker's, half a baker's dozen of podcasts? Yeah, I'll set a timer. Yeah, we'll make sure to announce that. (laughs) Yeah. When you say 45 minutes, do you mean like an hour and a half? Yes. (laughs) Because this podcast overruns about every time we do it. It doesn't overrun that much. (laughs) I think in the context of the people talking on it, it doesn't overrun that much. Um, Yeah, but the Hundred Years War overran, but it it really depends on your metrics, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I suppose the Hundred Years War they named afterwards, which is kind of what we're doing with the podcast. It's like, oh yeah, no, it's the Hundred Minute Podcast. Where it's like, really, we only wanted it to last five minutes. (laughs) I love the idea that they pre-named the war. (laughs) It's like, all right, folks, in a hundred years we'll call time, all right? Let's begin the Hundred Years' War. Like, what did he call it? <laughs> it's like, well, that would make wars a little more civil, right? It's almost like when you set a set number of rounds in a game, and you're like, okay, mm, we'll play yeah. to a hundred years, and we'll see who's on top, and then we'll just call it quits. Yeah. After every year, you roll a die, and if you, <laughs> if you go higher than four, then you have to do another turn. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad everyone could join us this week for our discussion mm. of historical wars. Uh, actually, there's uh, there's something in that, but I'll, I'll come on to that in a second. Let's uh, start with what we've been playing. Johnny, let's start with you, because you haven't been on in a couple of weeks on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, as per usual, uh, I am doing a lot of pen and paper role playing. Um, last, the end of tail end of last week, I had three RPG sessions in uh, just over in about thirty six hours, which was a lot. Um, but I'm playing. I've been playing D and D, obviously, because that's what I do. Um, but also Deadlands. Um, very excitingly, I have uh, been blessed with a preview copy of the next edition, um, Hard West, which is coming to an end of its Kickstarter. Not Hard West, Weird sorry. West, right? Deadlands Weird West. Hard West is a turn-based a video, video game, game yeah. that is heavily inspired by Deadlands. But Deadlands the Weird West, the next edition um, of Deadlands, the first in 15 years, and I'm having a bloody lovely time. I mean, Deadlands is my favourite RPG anyway, so uh, it's been lovely to sort of explore it. Uh, I've got a write-up that should be going up on the site soon-ish. I need to do some edits on it, and then it'll be ready. Um, I've also been playing uh, Ticket to Ride uh, over the app with some friends. Um, I've been playing a lot of XCOM, which is a board game, but I have been playing the new video game. But hear me out, uh, because uh, I... Wheels is going to talk about Gloomhaven in a minute, but we recorded a Let's Play of it yesterday with the video game version, and Lolis was absolutely loving it, because uh, she's not played that many video games. She was like, wow, it's amazing that this thing is... It translates so well to a video game, and I just thought Lolis would love XCOM. So I'm going to try mm. and get her into that. And obviously, very finally, I'm playing more Diplomacy. Um, since last we spoke, I have been eliminated from the game in which I was France. Uh, so President Eric Cantona is no more. But I'm now playing in an anonymous game. Um, so much like you in previous episodes, Matt, I can't say too much in case I give away which <laughs> yes. nation I am to the listeners. But it is wonderful. Um, and... There is one player in particular, I don't know who it is, but they are so funny that I don't think I can betray them. I think I'm going to lose because I enjoy writing letters to them too much. And if I did anything to jeopardise that, I'd never forgive myself. So that's... I don't know, wh- don't know what that says about my game in which I have been eliminated. So clearly I wasn't making enough oh, jokes. No. <laughs> I think also giving away which country I was on the podcast was a mistake because yes. then I immediately got swept by Russia. Um Ouch. As Germany, I was surrounded to begin with, uh, which is the excuse I will use. But yes, <laughs> it's been a jumping back to, to um, God. I was going to say Haunted West, which is a different RPG that's upcoming. <laughs> Deadlands. Um, I I think Wills and I were the members of the team who had not played it, mm-hmm. um, yes. but it's been very exciting hearing you because everyone knows of your love of Deadlands. Um, kind of chat about what's exciting about this new edition and having now played it for myself. I can see why you love it because it's really bloody good. Yeah, it's 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 just lovely. It's it's got buckets and buckets of atmosphere, um, and it's kind of it's a bit like D and D in that it's very easy for people to imagine the world. So it's not hard to get people on a story hook, but then you can also just put so much intrigue in there. Uh, and I think my favourite thing about it is that danger is never far away because it's a world in which if you say the wrong thing, someone can draw a gun and try and kill you on the spot. And that's just sort of how the world works. So at any point, you can just insert some gravitas by being like, now hold on there. Like, you're, these are some hard words you're talking here. I mean, like, Mian is pretty much a master of this. Um, Mian's character will wade into any situation and just be like, I'm going to try and talk my way through this. And if it goes wrong, well, let's, let's see what happens. You're fearless, Mian. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can't do that in real life, so 
you know, in tabletop RPGs, the escapism allows me to use honeyed words in any situation to potentially get myself or other people out, and if it goes wrong, then... Oh well, you know, the consequences will be bad for my character, but I'm, I'm <laughs> scot-free. I, I've been going against type in this campaign, actually. I've played a character who is morally good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is very strange for me. Um, but yeah. Mm. Because even even Robert O'Cop is, although he's lawful good, he is so lawful good that he is authoritarian. <laughs> Whereas I am just playing like a sort of humble priest who wants nothing more to protect people and stuff. Mm. So. Mm. It's, very, yeah. it's very unusual. Um, mm, I'll admit I was waiting I for the I have very preachy, of course. <laughs> no, it won't happen. It won't happen. I actually unless, love unless Satan. Unless become sinners. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's uh, so. I guess when this goes out uh, tomorrow, we'll see the first episode of mm. our our six week Deadlands mini campaign mm. uh, go up. We're taking a season break from Dungeon Breaker, our D and D series, and then it's so we're hitting the weird west, um, playing with as many of the rules of the new edition as we can, but with some reloaded hacked in because. The preview I saw was not complete, obviously, because they are still working on the game. But so far, it's in rude health, everybody. I'm looking forward to playing it more. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm One of my friends is currently creating a character for Deadlands. Uh, and just going through the process with them has been a really fun experience. Because with Deadlands, and I want to make sure I get this right, Luckily, I have Deadlands expert here, Johnny Chiardini. Uh, but Deadlands doesn't really have classes, does it? It's more like it, you use edges to create a, a version of classes. Yeah. Um, mm. So you've you've got backgrounds and you've got edges and hindrances. And backgrounds can bestow things like the ability to use you know, powers on you. But it's not a hard and fast class in... in as it is in other um, RPGs, if anything, you work backwards because it will, you'll have a, a background or an edge or a hindrance and it'll be like, here are the requirements to take this. So you make your character first in terms of their stats um, just based on what you want to be good at, whether you want to be good at fighting or shooting or, or running or whatever. Um, and then you go shopping for stuff that deepens that character. Mm-hmm. Um, and Wheels famously hates it. Which, why, uh, if you're watching the video version of this, you will have just seen him get up and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> He's back now. I just shut the window because there was someone with a leaf blower outside that was getting closer and closer, and I was like, no. <laughs> I just see your yeah, hair ruffles. <laughs> the edges remind me of um, like the classic Fallout games, like taking things that hinder you in exchange mm. for things that help you, kind of mm. thing. Mm. I think it's such a rich way of creating a character because you're not restricted by okay I have this race I have this class because um, obviously in Deadlands there aren't really races obviously people can be any human race they like but like there's not you know uh, like orcs and, and elves and whatever like mm-hmm. the people are they're not shaped by I am this class and therefore this is how I play it's very much like I want to create a character that likes to do these things, but they can also potentially do these things as well, mm. and it kind of allows you to 
I think build a more organic character. Uh, it it's more flexible. There's less restrictions. You're mm. not like cornered into a, a certain bracket. And I think, you know, I've really noticed that helping, you know, my friend create that character because we kind of came up with the idea for the character first, and then we kind of worked out, okay, how do we actually mm. translate this into a workable thing? And I'm even like going back and with the character I have, uh, I'm even like going back and kind of changing a few things because um, Johnny helped me make it. But um, there's a few things that I'm kind of like, oh, I feel like this might be more suitable to who they are. And like, mm. I know some people might be staunchly against, oh, you can't like, you know, go backseas. But I'm like, I don't know, I feel like I can get away with that because yeah. I'm still working along with the boundaries of, you know, I'm not a level above of anyone, but I'm just, like, getting a better idea of who my character mm. is and mm. making the system work with that. I mean, I think that makes sense because all the characters were just ones I quickly genned for a one-shot that were then turned mm. into a campaign, so it makes sense that people should be allowed to go back and retool their characters. Mm. Yeah. Like, there's a hindrance I want to change. Because I kind of feel like it doesn't really fit with... I would rather take a hindrance that fits better with what I think my character is bad at uh -huh. than the one I currently have now. Because mm. I'm very much happy to lean into the things that they're good at whilst accepting that there are things that, you know, they're, they're not accomplished. That's what I like about Savage Worlds as a rule set, really, is that it makes you fond of the things you suck at. Like, whereas in D&D &D or other, you know, other RPGs, people talk about dump stats. And it's like, ah, oh, charisma's my dump stat. I just don't, I don't do any of the talking stuff. Whereas, you know, in, um, in Savage Worlds, for example, it'd be like, you know, every time I try and do talking stuff, if this happens, it goes bad for me in the following way. But I still have a, a window to succeed in it. Mm. It's, um, it's, it's a pulpy, very quick to pick up system. Um with, as I've said many times before, wildly inconsistent damage. Uh, as oh, as one God, of the yeah. party, I won't say who, uh, learned uh, very recently. But um, yeah, it's it, I'm fond of it. I love it. It's great. I was I was just going to say, I've been um, one of the things that I forgot to put in the list that I've just put in is I've been starting a new Blades in the Dark campaign. Oh yeah. Uh, with a few friends from the office. And I think there's a very similar thing in Blades where it's like one of the things that I'm not too keen on from Dungeons & Dragons character building is it's very much like, here's all the things you can be good at, like pick some things that you're good at, and they're usually either killing people or solving puzzles. Mm. Whereas like with Blades, every single decision that you make about your character is in service to who they are as a person. And then the stuff just comes from that, I think. like It's very much like um, like when you're adding pips to, to your um, actual stats. It's not just, okay, you can just add dice now. It's like you can do whatever you want with two, one of them you have to think okay well why does this um why is this character good at this based on my background and why is this character good at this based on my heritage and stuff like that like there's mm. loads of little um bits that just encourage you to actually flesh out a character rather than just like a sheet of stats which i think is really important mm. um, yeah and it's like going back <coughs> through the character creation with people have really been like um reintroduced to how good it is at that wills as you're already talking what else have you been playing other than blaze in the dark well, um, I, as Johnny hinted, I've been um, playing some Gloomhaven, but the PC video game edition. 
um, <laughs> which is the computer game. Uh, it's very much like a uh, like a pretty faithful adaptation. I don't. It's got. It's missing like certain characters that they haven't put in yet, and uh, like the campaign. I think is slightly different um, because it's a bit more. Um, I don't know if it's like it's just like a whole new thing that's been written for the game specifically, or if it's just like a placeholder for when they put the new one in, because it's very much in early access at the moment. Um, but it's like, yeah, it feels very much like playing from like the short experience that I've had of playing the Frosthaven demo. Um, like it's, it feels like a very natural thing to make into a video game. Uh, and I think even if you had no idea about the board game, you would still get a lot of enjoyment out of it. It's a, it's a very, very nice adaption. It's, it feels very early access. Like a few of the animations are a bit choppy and stuff like that, but it's still really pretty. Um, I think like, like Johnny said, we were sat there with, cause we, we, we did, we recorded Let's Play and hopefully this is all either have already been out or will be out this week by the time you watch this podcast um but yeah like the uh the visual sort of aspects of it even though it's you know it just looks like a nice fantasy game but when you've already seen what like the board game component version is and seeing it like come to life is really really fun mm. um and just like the the way in which they've used that sort of like hex format to um to really add sort of life to their buildings like instead of just having like you know like a I'm trying to think of an example, like a um, grid-based like XCOM map where it's all very sort of like angular and stuff like that. Uh, because they've already got that hexy kind of um, grid from the the board game, it feels a lot more natural and more sort of like rock formations and littered bits of uh, furniture and all that kind of stuff. We spent about ten minutes looking at a chair. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure why, but we did. <laughs> yeah, well, Lolly's was really, just really enamoured with the chair as a thing and then it did it was an obstacle so it did become relevant at one mm. point which set us back 20 minutes we were like but it is a nice chair so yeah, <laughs> yeah it's really good um i would recommend it it's i don't think it's super expensive um i think it's like 10 20 quid that kind of region uh but it's got like a from what it looks like a fair amount of content that's already in and a fair amount to come and it's... um and they're they're planning on releasing multiplayer as well so that you can play online it's about a, that's about a tenth of the price of actual Gloomhaven. So yes, if you aren't exactly. sure whether or not you want to pick it up and possibly give yourself a hernia hefting it into your flat, it's a great demo. Yeah, yeah. Like if if you are if you were really thinking about getting the box but you were still sort of struggling with the idea, like I think this really gives you a proper feel for the game. I am um, tempted to be honest. I ended up searching for it online, but I couldn't find it available for any retailers uh, who pay their taxes so um <laughs> i uh, i decided to wait until my friendly local game store reopens mm, i saw a copy in a store in local brighton and i was like ooh and then i remembered how much it costs and i was like oh <laughs> i wonder whether in the wake of um, come on this frosthaven just doing brilliantly well on Kickstarter, whether more yes. shops will suddenly pick up Gloomhaven as kind of a... Because Frosthaven won't be out for a year or so and there'll presumably be a bunch of people wanting to get in on Gloomhaven even more so. so but mm. Will we see it in John Lewis? That's my metric. <laughs> <laughs> Next to, uh, I don't know, whatever is in John Lewis nowadays, game-wise. Uh, Ludo. Obama-Lama, probably. Yeah, like Obama-Lama, yeah, definitely. And My level Waterstones has a really of... good board game selection. They've got a guy there who's clearly really passionate about tabletop. Yeah, yeah. there's lots of signs really good. being like, "Talk to me." So we'll see Gloomhaven. I reckon. Please talk to me. <laughs> I'm lonely. Please. <laughs> He's just been playing Gloomhaven 
on shelves for like 17 <laughs> everyone, hours straight. Please. Everyone that comes in the shop is always asking for books. I don't understand why. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Uh, Alex Meehan, what have you been playing? Oh, uh, right. Let's get this over with. Uh, Scythe update of the week. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> it's still going. <laughs> Johnny's so happy. And have you won one so yet? Tired. Uh, I won. I've won one. But it wasn't last week's, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I lost quite badly. It's with the, the usual crew. Uh, and it was going well for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought, oh, okay. You know, you know when you get in a position where you're like, things are going to align. Like the stars are going to align. I've set up loads of great stuff. I just need to make it for a few more turns and I'm going to get that. All that delicious, you know, investment I've put in, I'm going to finally see, you know, a return. And then my friend just comes along and then beats me twice in combat and wins again. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> and oh. by beating me in combat, he, uh, they kicked me off the factory space as well. No. Oh. Uh, Which faction the, were you? Uh, this is the problem. I was Saxony. Uh, I don't really get along well with Saxony. Saxony are great. Um, I won my first game of Saxony, so I have a special place for Saxony <laughs> in my heart. The problem is, I don't like playing aggressively, and like Scythe is one of those games that you can get away with, with not like you know squaring up to anyone. You can mm. just like get on with your own thing. But the problem is that Saxony, their big advantage is like you could win as many stars as you like through combat. I'm mm. like, I don't really want to fight anyone because I'm quite happy working on these things. Mm. But my friend who was playing as Nordic was like, I can win this game right here, right now, just by... And I had a lot of popularity as well, which meant that those tiles that I'd had occupied were a massive part of my oh, score percentage. Mate. So I basically lost half my score in that one round. <laughs> So instead of losing, you know, but coming quite close to second place, I lost by a, a square mile. Uh, and I was sat there very quiet for a little bit. And my friend was like, are you OK? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. You might have to ask me in like an hour. <laughs> my empire of points. <laughs> oh, I think it's versions. The thing about Scythe is because the scoring is basically multiplication, right? It's the stars and the tiles play such a big part that you can just end up. And then popularity as well is the other multiplication factor. So it's like it can, it's not swingy, but it definitely, like a few, you lose a couple of tiles or you lose a bit of popularity and suddenly you can shoot down or up the the scoring, which can work both ways. But yeah, that sounds, uh, sounds pretty savage. Yeah. It's because they have that like laddered thing, right? That's so it's right. like if you if you like lose a bit of territory, then you could lose out on like a couple of points. Whereas like if you lose a bit of popularity and go down a level, suddenly you lose like half your points. Yeah. It's, mm. it's nuts. Because I was I was in a quite high bracket of popularity, but that meant that the a lot of my points at the time were coming from the tiles that I had occupied. But obviously having those taken away from me meant that uh, my final score was embarrassing and I felt like my pride had had like fallen into the toilet oh. and my friend had like flushed it. Uh, well, you'll always but... be in a high bracket of popularity to me, Mian. 
Oh, see, look, this is why I stick around. Um, no, it's fine. I I love Scythe, and I will I'll be back again. Uh, just once I've regained some, you know, sense of calm. Uh, <laughs> other than Scythe. I've been playing uh, once again. My friend and I played a bit of Splendor. We've, uh, for people who've listened to previous episodes of the podcast, I believe I've talked about it before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to reiterate, that's a really great game. Just such an easy game to pick up and get going with. And it's another one of those games where you know you don't realise how quickly things can turn. Mm. Um, but because it's so short, it it doesn't hit and hurt so badly. Um, it is a game that you can kind of sit with on a Sunday afternoon and just sort of doddle along with while listening to some music, uh, eating some crispies, maybe. <laughs> uh, other than that, I've also been playing... Um, ooh, Betrayal at House on the Hill, Mr Jarvis. Yeah, we played that together. Uh, you, over the tabletop yeah. Sim. yeah. Um, as people may know, it's one of my favourite games. Uh, well, if you're a big fan of Betrayal House on the Hill, we'll be <coughs> streaming it by the time this podcast comes out yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the video will be available. So tune in live yesterday <laughs> for a lovely flavour of Betrayal at House on the Hill. Well, the video will be available. Yes, um, and I'm sure our dedicated fans would already have watched the stream. <laughs> so... Um, that's just going to paint their understanding of Mm -hmm. uh, how good it is. Mm. Um, We played the Widow's Walk expansion, didn't we, Mr. Jarvis? Yeah, which I think you and I are in agreement that it's it's good. Like, it's it's not like the biggest expansion in the world, but it definitely adds enough where it's like, this is a really solid, worthwhile expansion. But I saw a load of people on the internet around the time it came out a few years ago just kind of dunking on it and not loving it, which I didn't really understand. But I don't know if it was just mm. people who already didn't like Betrayal because of its very much like swingy nature yeah. and it's it's inconsistent as a game. But like I think Widow's Walk actually adds quite a lot to it that just makes it. If you like Betrayal, it's more of that, but also it it kind of does tune a couple of things to make them a little more. It makes it easier to get around with like the. Um, dumb waiters so you can travel between floors and stuff like that yeah. so yeah I, for me it's always been pretty good and worth getting if you already own the original but. this is the problem that I'll tra- here you go I'll trace back the problem for you you went on the internet yeah <laughs> true and That's there fair. were people there who had opinions <laughs> to be fair um, though Mian, the internet is where dicebreaker.com exists so the, the where only this podcast exists the only yeah. sanctuary in a sea of... <laughs> yep. um, Dicebreaker.com, the only awful. acceptable website. He said, <laughs> the only opinion that matters. <laughs> but I... this is When you told me about this, this is the first time I've heard of anyone complaining about Widow's Walk because I was like you, I was under the astounding, understanding that it was well-liked and this is... This is the only thing I can see would be people who already, yeah, dislike Betrayal, just disliking Widow's Walk. And I'm like, what do you expect? It's 
not going to change the entire game. It's an expansion. Like, it mm. expands on existing things. <laughs> so it's not going to fix the things you don't like about the game. It's just going to add more to it, which it does with not just the, the dumbwaiters and the roof. I think it adds as well as, like, a new location. But, um... It also adds some really fantastic scenarios, which I think are very creative and weird. Uh, like the one we played had like fort straws. Brain straws. Yeah, brain straws. That was it. And they were like tentacles and they went around and sucked your thoughts out of your brain. Um, my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, and you had to actually write down what you think your character's thought would be uh, and attach it to a stat and everything. So I think Widow's Walk is really cool because it like takes the very base like core mechanics of betrayal and kind of runs with them and does some like weird creative things with like at its core a very straightforward game um yeah we had fun doing that it was great it's making me just picture scottish widow adverts of like it just a, a widow just wandering about in some woods Black hood. Being black and red. Being alluringly beautiful but Mm. also sad and making you wonder whether the circumstances in which her husband or partner died. I mean she I'll be back in twenty. I'm just out on a widow's walk. (laughs) See ya. (laughs) Sorry for your loss. Your husband's died, better go have me widow's walk. (laughs) Oh oh but your but your but madam, your husband is still alive. Oh uh yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll go for my walk anyway. And if he's, st- if he's still alive we'll see. when I get back. We'll see. <laughs> Keep eating that silvery porridge, will you? <laughs> <laughs> oh. What about you, Matt, to wrench us back yeah. onto... Matt, what have I, you uh, I will start with a couple of quick things. I bought a crokinole board, as you do. Yeah, I joined incredible. the crokinole club. Um, which my wife and I proceeded to then play for about three and a half hours last night in the way yes, that Crokinole does, where you sit down to play and then it's suddenly very late at night. Uh, she had never played before. We'd played over Tabletop Simulator, actually, but it's it's not, not quite the, the same. same. Obviously, a Crokinole board is very much a very a luxury item. Uh, the one I bought was about 200 quid, um, and it was just, you know, we were very lucky in that we got married last year and had some leftover wedding gifts and so on from very kind um folks Dowry. Um, <laughs> so i bought this not considering i actually set out to <laughs> set that out to buy a go board time. which also Ooh. which i've also been playing um so i set out on one sunday afternoon having had several long island iced teas going yes. should buy a go board i'm really interested in learning go and then ending up on a website that had a go board uh, but also had a crokinole board and going, mm-hmm. yeah, well, while I'm here. Um, so, yes. I, so. I'm sure you've already experienced this, Matt, but whenever you learn cro- um, Go sorry, via the internet, like if you find a YouTube video, there's either two, there's only one of two people who will teach you. There's either like a really old dude in a polo shirt or there's just like some guy who's just like hanging out, bro, I got my T-shirt off. I'm wearing some like silk trousers. <laughs> Sounds awful. I'm not brave yeah. enough to play Go. As I understand it, you need a lot of stones. Yes. Uh, ugh. Anyway, moving on. Uh, but I've been before <laughs> no, he's the gone again. before the board turned up. I was learning on a uh, on an app called Crazy Stones, I think, which is not a great. It's really hard to. Crazy turns out stones. it's really hard to search for Go app. Um, mm. 
but Crazy Stones is apparently one of the better ones. Unfortunately, it has a lot of difficulty levels, and even on the easiest difficulty level, I've now played maybe a dozen games. I have not won a single one of them. Mm. Um, Go is is really, really hard. Like, yeah. It's quite difficult to wrap your head around in the first place, but also there's just like it's such a wide open board. There's so many different like possibilities that it can really be really easy to get lost in. Yeah, so I've been playing on nine by nine, which is the recommended kind of beginner size before you go to thirteen yeah. by thirteen, then nineteen by nineteen, um, and then yeah, my wife and I started playing the physical version last night as well before we busted out Crokinole. Um So hopefully we'll learn at kind of the same pace because I think that's. That's often the problem is if you've got, with a game like that, that's kind of perfect information and is pure strategy, if one person is above the other, yeah, you instantly get into a case where unless you know certain strategies or know kind of what you're doing, mm. it's really hard to progress. Um, mm. So hopefully we'll play each other, but then also kind of progress at the same level and be able to reach out. But um, but yeah, it's it's been one of those things I've always wanted to play because I've never really played it very much in terms of traditional games. But yeah, Crokinole is amazing oh, it continues to be amazing um so yes those were those have kind of absorbed my evenings recently uh, and then the other thing which i'm reviewing for dicebreaker.com mm-hmm. um hopefully later this week potentially next week depending on um i put quite a bit of time into it already um but it would depend how much time i need to really fill i feel like i'm i'm pretty sure that it's bloody brilliant already um but i want to make sure i'm doing a full job of it uh, is undaunted north africa which is the follow-up to last year's Undaunted Normandy, which was a... It's a deck-building card game, um, but it's also kind of like a skirmish war game. So in Normandy, one player was... It's two players. um, One player was the US, one player was Germany. It was 1944, just after D-Day. As you um, started with a small deck of cards that you would then draw um, and play to move your tokens on the map... So, for instance, you could move a rifleman one space and then attack and things like that. Um, North Africa is very much built on that gameplay, but I think it just makes it even better. So it's now the long-range desert group, uh, the LRDG, uh, which I think is the British forces um, in 1940 or 1941 um, against the Italians, who are members of the Axis and then holding that um, territory at that time. So it's the interesting things, I think, is that there's still that core gameplay of you draw cards and you add, you bolster. So you add cards to your deck more and more by playing commanders. So then you're able to draw more cards and then move them more regularly and things like that. It's whereas Normandy was much more squad based, so you had squads of riflemen A, B, C, and squads of machine gunners A, B, C. Um, North Africa is much more about the kind of there are no squads per se, but there are they've added vehicles. So there's now tank drivers and tank gunners. You can get into jeeps and drive them around, um, and it's much more asymmetrical as well. So the LRDG um, who are kind of moving in to try and take the Italian occupied regions, they are very much focused on blowing stuff up. So they have saboteurs, they have demolition experts, and there are now structures that the LRDG can move to and blow up by attacking. Whereas the Italians are just trying to hold them. So there's this kind of... the Generally in Normandy, it was more like, okay, whoever can hold X number of objectives wins. That was most of the scenarios were hold X number of objectives, you win. And here it's, okay, the Italians are trying to hold this number of objectives while the LRDG are trying to blow up that number of objectives. So it becomes a slightly different thing where 
in a recent scenario played, the Italians had a tank, um, and so they had much more heavy armor. Um, but the LRDG, because they were they were a lot more nimble, so they were able to move more regularly. They had snipers, things like that. So it was more like they were the small kind of commando group, whereas the mm. Italians were the heavy kind of slow armor, more heavily powered, but less able to move around. And then another scenario we played was um, there are one. There's a new mechanic about escaping. So one side might have to try and eliminate a certain character by attacking them enough before they can escape to a certain part of the map and flee. So there are things like, oh, you're trying to escort an agent or something like that. Mm. Uh, and I think it's... Normandy was already really good. I think North Africa, for me, is even better. It's, like I say, it's a lot more asymmetrical, so I don't think that would necessarily gel with people who are looking for more kind of head-to-head. We're going for the same stuff. We've got the same kind of starting cards. But it feels really good to play. Like, the vehicles are interesting without being any more complex there's kind of new terrain stuff where vehicles can't pass through there's recon aircraft and things like that so i think it just adds to what was already like a really really good game that's quite a lot but uh yeah Yeah. i'll be writing up my full thoughts i just got very excited it's bloody great yeah if you are interested in that we played normandy on the stream uh me and lolis had a game uh so that is available on the dice break youtube channel and it's yeah it's really cool it's um lolis is already a massive deck builder fan because of her complete enamor for star realms so um i think she quite enjoyed seeing it in another context with that sort of like uh tactical um aspect as well i think i really enjoy when games sort of like take something that's quite standard and then also add on like a map element like i really love um summoner wars for that reason where it's like yeah it's like a magic style card game but you're placing down these troops and actually moving them around Mm. so it's like that standard thing of like yes it's like star realms where you're adding to a deck and getting new troops out but you also have to like you know, manage their positioning and stuff like that. And I think that really adds to, to stuff like that. Well, that actually segues very nicely into news. Uh, it's not the the news that's top of this list, but it's the news that's top of this list now. Um, is that there is a, <laughs> there's a new set coming out for Star Realms. Um, and just as we didn't have Johnny on last week to discuss Deadlands, although it got its due earlier, we don't have Lolis on this week to discuss Star Realms. Arguably the... Well, I don't think even arguably easily the biggest Star Realms fan among us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it's really interesting. They have announced Rise of Empire, which is a, a standalone set for Star Realms um, coming out next year um, after a Kickstarter this autumn. And the interesting thing about it is it's described as being a kind of legacy game um, built on Star Realms. So okay. it's a prequel to Star Realms. Not that I don't think Star Realms is really known for its story. But it, oh it, god, the Star Realms prequels! <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for the Jar Jar shit. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it, it, uh, if Star Realms, Star Realms for people who don't know, like Will's kind of explained, it's a deck building game where you're two opposing sides or uh, factions within this galaxy, um, and you kind of take cards from the middle, build up, and knock the other opponent. I think it's, like, influence or the equivalent authority. of something like that. That's it, authority, yeah. yeah. But it's basically health. Um, yeah. It's a different... It's another McGubbin for health. <laughs> um, but Rise of Empire is... It's built on that gameplay, apparently, but the new thing about it is it's it takes place across a set of missions that when you finish a mission, they can have knock-on effects to future missions, um, and that includes kind of legacy aspects, although there's no destruction. I think they've confirmed there's no kind of tearing up cards or anything like that. There will be elements of 
if you recruit certain cards, you can pay extra to then give them, make them multi-faction, so they will side with your faction kind of semi-permanently, so they will then have another ability for your faction from then on, um, and that will be permanent for a sticker. So from then on, every time that card comes up and is purchased, they'll give you an extra ability if they are sided with your faction, which sounds really interesting. Do we know if it's co-op or competitive? It's competitive. Okay. Because I, I actually, we when we streamed Star Realms, me and Lolis, we played the co-op mode, and I actually really enjoyed that. And I, I think that might have been an interesting way of doing it. But never mind. <laughs> I, I think they have. They've indicated that they it will be the first of several legacy kind of sets for Star mm-hmm. Realms. So it might be that they then do a co-op version or release a co-op it's, mode. It's nuts how much Star Realms content there is. Yeah, like, it's there's a lot <laughs> i think considering most people just buy like the, the standard box which is like very very cheap and very good game to just sort of like start your collection off with it's not like i don't know who's buying all of this extra stuff apart from alex lowly <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like dominion right dominion another bit yeah. just has expansion after expansion mm. and mm. is kind of unbelievable how much stuff there is because yeah, you think of awesome. oh dominion it's that box and it's like oh there's like two dozen expansions or something like that yeah uh, I didn't but yeah, it would be. Uh, there were. I guess deck builders are just mm. quite easy to expand, maybe. Yeah, like, just to add cards, you can swap them in yeah. and out, and so on. Uh, yeah, and the the other thing worth saying here is that although it's a legacy game, because there's no destruction, but the, when you get to the end, you can keep replaying it. So apparently, there'll be content that's specifically made to play once you finish the campaign, and you can kind of keep cool. playing your customized set, uh, which is very cool. Um, so yeah, like I say, that's coming to Kickstarter this autumn and then coming out next year. And they say it will come to the app as well, because um, I think the app is a big thing for them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's a little uh, bit of Star Realms news for you. And jumping back to the thing that is top of this list, the news list, uh, which we've already touched on already, is that Frosthaven, the Gloomhaven sequel, is now the biggest board game Kickstarter evs. Uh, it's made. <laughs> <laughs> it's made a lot of money. Uh, it's made it made almost thirteen million dollars, um, which also makes it the third biggest Kickstarter project of any kind ever, um, behind the Pebble Smartwatch, Pebble Time Smartwatch, I think, and the coolest cool box or coolest cooler, something like that, which I think was a, if memory serves, was a bit of a nightmare campaign that then didn't this really is, deliver. This but... is not a good omen for for Frosthaven that those weird, two. Man. I think the Pebble the most forgettable things on earth for the other two in the top three. <laughs> but it, um, so in terms of board games and tabletop, as they classify tabletop projects, um, it's overtaken the Kingdom Death Monster 1.5. Thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, uh, which had made 12.4 million. Um, so it, the exact ma- amount of money that Frosthaven made was. Uh, twelve million nine hundred sixty nine thousand six hundred eight dollars. Uh, so yeah, very close to thirteen million from. And also the another really fascinating thing to note here is that it had uh, it had over eighty three thousand backers, whereas Kingdom Death Monster had uh, nineteen thousand. So about four times the number of backers, which I think is because I was Kingdom say Death is Kingdom, Kingdom Death is miniatures, right? So that's going to be a lot more expensive. I think and plus you... like seventy five percent of their like um, like project fund went on making small plastic breasts. <laughs> I think that's going to be a huge part of their cost. Who it? are these titty loving <laughs> oligarchs that I are spending so much money on a Kickstarter? I what is this? Know, 
I don't want to meet them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so uh, one Matt Jarvis has written in this Dicebreaker.com news story that... Uh, he sounds like a hack. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I don't Wheels. necessarily <laughs> trust him, but... Um, but Kingdom Death Monsters core set was two hundred dollars, and Frosthaven's core box is a hundred dollars. Neither of those yeah. include shipping, bear in mind, because they're both big old boxes. But it's literally double the price for Kingdom Death, mm. so that kind of gives you an idea. So yeah. Oh. So yeah. Uh, then Frosthaven is it's out next March, something like that. It's out. Uh, yeah, March two twenty twenty one, and it's obviously like we've kind of noted. Previous times, it's a standalone thing. It follows up on Gloomhaven. It's very much that kind of gameplay, but it's a lot chillier now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's Gloomhaven, but you have to wear a jumper. Yeah, it's actually, speaking of the coolest cool box or whatever the heck it's called, it's actually a built-in cool box, and you can just put your drinks and, you know, cheese sandwiches in there. Cheese yeah. sandwiches? I'd, I'd love a cheese sandwich right Oh, now. yeah. Mm. Me too. I'm going to have one when we finish this stream, I reckon. All right. Uh, cool. Cheese sandwiches all round. Uh, I'm that's sure that's how what. We, that's how we party, folks. Mm, I'm sure that's what Isaac Childress had as soon as yeah. he saw that Crosshaven had almost hit $13 million. Well, he was like, I'm going to treat Kickstarter in will it, get the Marmite out. It certainly made a lot of cheddar. <laughs> oh. Johnny, you're on fire today. Thank you very much, oh, man. Goodness. Yeah, the dad jokes are just coming out. Yeah, they've, well, they've definitely got a lot of bread now, haven't they, Dad? <laughs> yes, my son. Hey, <laughs> he's learning, he's learning. Uh, yeah, so there we go. It just made a load of money. There's the story. I'm uh, so happy. The Kickstarter's over now, so I don't think... They, you might be able to late pledge, um, but otherwise you'll have to wait till so, next yeah. spring. But uh, mm. there's a good chance you've already bought it or already <laughs> backed it, given the number of people that did. Mm. Uh, so uh, here's, a, here's another fun one. Uh, I don't know if any of you know of Aliens, Another Glorious Day in the Core. I've heard of it. Yeah, I've heard of it. Quite a title, isn't it? Mm. The reason you may Why is it that, like, branded properties tend to have, like, ridiculously long titles? Mm, like... What was that, um... The Walking Dead, the board game, colon, here's Negan. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, that, that was that, that one. In the office. Oh and there God. was, um... The Batman Who Laughs Rising. Yeah. Oh, still God. one of my favourites. I mean, I don't know if it's better or worse than just name of property, colon, the board game. Yeah, I uh, have to say, I just looked at my uh, my my uh, stack of board games. The thing, Infection Outpost, I was just about to say much the thing. better yeah. than That's the a thing. Name. The board game. It's like the thing. The board. The game. item. The, the game item. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the reason you may have heard of Alien, another uh, Aliens, sorry, another glorious day in the core, is because it was announced at the start of 2018 uh, by Gale Force Nine, who also made. Uh, they made the Sons of Anarchy board game. They made the Firefly board game. They made a, a load of licensed games that were actually pretty well regarded. Um, so people were pretty excited about this. And then it was delayed until 2019. And then it was delayed until 2020. Uh, and now they've come out and said, hey, by the way, it has no release date. We don't know when it will come out. Wow. Um, so they've uh, they've essentially said their update, it didn't say it's been delayed till 2021. They said specifically... Quoting for accuracy, due to a variety of circumstances out of our control, we're just not at this point able to provide information such as a release date. <laughs> but as soon as we can, we'll such be doing as, so. For example, a <laughs> such as yeah, the thing you've yeah. been waiting for for two years. <laughs> um, as soon as the situation allows, we will be getting the game into your hands. Has but they anybody... said, "Hey, sorry, carry on." I was going to say they they added as part of this, "Hey, we've we've designed the game. All the miniatures are done." 
So, uh, and we're playtesting it a heck of a lot, it turns out. Right. Um, so there's no, officially there's no word on why this is the case. It could be because of the, the current uh, COVID-19 situation, which has affected a number of release dates. We've seen things delayed. It could be for whatever reason, because this game has gone through multiple delays now, so it seems like quite a troubled project. Um, but we don't officially know. We have... Dicebreaker has reached out to Gale Force 9 for further information, um, and we will report that if and when we hear anything back um, kind for of, the time being. I'm picturing an office where just everyone has a face hugger attached, and they're all sort of in that in that early stage, like the John Hurt bit, where he's just lying there. And like they'll be able to get up in a couple of days, but then they'll have to rush the game out. <laughs> <laughs> the... Um... The sort of like track history of games focused around Colonial Marines and the Aliens franchise. <laughs> oh, let's let's not go there, buddy. I left that life behind, and that's where I wanted to stay. Yeah, I'm, it's I'm imagining sh- that it's going to be a you go through the ship, and there are some aliens miniatures, and your dungeon crawler space thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which do- no offense doesn't really spark my fire, but mm. uh, I think doesn't I'll spark just joy. Oh, well. <clears throat> Doesn't spark joy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> just Marie Kondo sorting. <laughs> Marine Kondo. Like, uh, oh, there it is. Marine Kondo. Oh, my nice. three points. Nothing but net. Alice Mian. Oh my god. Yeah. Here all week. That's the title right there. <laughs> yeah. Let me write that down before I Marine Kondo. As always happens. Oh wow. Oh wow. That's the best thing that's going to come out of that game. Oh, wow. No, I mean, I can't really pass judgment like I am. Yeah, we've, we've not Are you sure? Because it that. sounds like you did. <laughs> <laughs> with, with the might of Zeus. I think I... it's more like the case of I'm a bit sick of, like, miniatures games, particularly miniatures games based on, like, fra- existing franchises. Like, mm. I have some goodwill. So, for example, the, the Resident Evil games you know i'm like oh that's that seems okay like but i they're just such a dime a dozen that uh, it I, seems like like 70 percent of kickstarter is board games that have miniatures that do not require miniatures yeah <laughs> um, uh, it's why games like legendary alien encounters is like oh that's cool i like that because it takes the theme of alien and kind of you know does sexy. something interesting <laughs> with it or like the alien role-playing game, for example. Like I mm. just think mm-hmm. it's such a s- yeah. The the natural leap is uh, franchise, particularly horror franchise, leap to miniatures situation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll play devil's advocate here and say that although I also can't pass judgment in either way, Gale Force Nine has a, a generally good track record with making yeah. interesting licensed games. No, I like the Firefly um, game. It's good. Yeah. So it could be that this is is worth the two and a bit year wait, um, or it could just be t- it could turn out to be a load of bunk and it's a bit rubbish. Um, I think it's particularly it's following in the wake of two pretty good aliens inspired um, dungeon crawlers lately, which is uh, Nemesis is one of them, uh, which is very much Alien the board game, but legally legally distinct Alien, um, Xenomath. Uh, <laughs> Vino Smurf. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, which uh, came out last year, I think, um, and is it's very much uh, indebted to it. And the other one was Alone, um, which I reviewed way back when, and enjoyed quite a lot because that it was a dungeon crawler, but it did some really interesting things with the your ability to see because of a torch, so you could light up certain corridors. But if you turned away and things like that, and the as the monster moved, it would then they would go back into darkness so you didn't actually know where yeah. things were moving and you could hear noise but you couldn't tell exactly what was where so don't, don't get me wrong like that sounds cool like i i really like the i like i'm not against dungeon crawlers as a whole like what you just described there i'm like oh that sounds really interesting it's when they're like just straightforward here are some units here are the enemy units now engage in a battle in mm. the dungeon quote and I'm just like well we've never seen this before <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if, they do something, if they do something interesting with it then I'm more than happy to, to give it a go yeah mm. yeah fingers crossed uh, rattling through a few more uh, this was a news piece that went up today there's a new Mansions of Madness but it's not maybe the Mansions of Madness you expect because it's the original source book for Call of Cthulhu, the role-playing game, uh, which yeah. came out in 1990 um, rather than the board game from Fantasy Flight, uh, which mm. there is like a lineage there because Arkham Horror is based on Call of Cthulhu, then Arkham Horror gave birth to Mansions of Madness, all this kind of thing. But as far as anybody cares nowadays, different things. Um, so that's coming out. I think it's already available in digital for Call of Cthulhu and it is, it's two of the original adventures plus three new ones, including one set on a golf course. Yes, please. It's just like haunted golf course. Yes, please. So, yeah. Watch a man get pulled into the ninth hole. I think it reminds me of like Evolution to bring up the film from like 2002 with David Duchovny and Julianne Moore. Listeners and viewers, this is not the first time that Matt Jarvis has brought up Evolution. It's a constant in my mind. That does not surprise me. I've not thought about that film in a very long time. And yes, uh, you and the, the rest of the world. <laughs> the animated series was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, Make an evolution started... board game. <laughs> I mean, have, you know. Probably. Google it. Oh, goodness. Mm. Uh, it also starred Sean William Scott of American Pie fame. Oh, wow. Uh, I th- why do I know so much about evolution? Anyway, let's move know. on. Um, speaking of... is, if you search evolution board game, you get evolution. Oh, oh yeah. Which is a very good board game, it but is. it's not what I'm looking for. Uh, related to uh, the Arkham Horror discussion, but not related to Mansion of Madness for Call of Cthulhu, is um, a new investigator for Arkham Horror, the card game, which I'll pass over to Alex Meehan, who knows the details of this. A correspondent in Arkham Horror, the card game. I really hope I'm not in Arkham Horror, because that's a scary place. (laughs) Alex Meehan, the journalist. (laughs) I'm here for a special report from Silent Hills. Oh, that that chopper wouldn't work there, that's for sure. <laughs> Instant crash. Um, yeah, so th- there is a bevy of Arkham Horror news sort of at the moment. So there was the announcement of uh, the Innsmouth Conspiracy, which is a new expansion for Arkham Horror the card game, not to be confused with Arkham Horror the board game. Uh, or Eldritch Horror, the board game, for that matter. Or any of the offshoots of the Arkham Horror board game. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, uh, yeah, it's set on in that classic short story 
you know, location Innsmouth where everyone's weird smells like fish. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, Portsmouth, and... was like... <laughs> Portsmouth. <laughs> yeah. Apologies to uh, Portsmouth. Yeah, come on, man. Come on. I've never been to Portsmouth. <laughs> well, I, you know and what? Now I you'll never go be there allowed. now if you if you value your. <laughs> no, you're life. right. I yeah. forgot all of Portsmouth. Now you'll this you'll get the Arkham Horror experience of walking in, and they'll turn to you <laughs> like they know you, and they'll mm. be like, "That's Michael Whelan." <laughs> you know what he said about Portsmouth. You mm. know, don't yeah. you? There's so the people like Portsmouth sharp on their hooks. <laughs> All their hooks. Um, yeah, so it's so a new expansion, so new investigators. Uh, there's some new mechanics involving curses, uh, basically like a push your luck scenario, and also finding keys to unlock doors, all that sort of malarkey. Uh, and as Mr. Jarvis mentioned, the most recent piece of news is that it's not so much a new investigator, it's it's like a version of an old investigator. So in the core pack of Arkham Horror, the card game, there was an investigator called Daisy Walker. Uh, she is a librarian. And she's very... Oh, yeah. uh, always got her nose in books. I remember uh, that. Yeah, yeah, she's very knowledgeable. Mm. So not the most combat ready, but definitely... Uh, useful in certain situations and uh, basically a new free to download uh, scenario called read or die <laughs> it's like skate or die for <laughs> librarians yeah it's very uh, radical um, yeah yeah basically uh, involves a version of Daisy Walker they explain it by saying there's now parallel dimensions uh, in Arkham Horror, because why not? Mm. Uh, and this is a version of Daisy Walker who is like the original in the fact that she is bookish, but she has su- slightly different stats and a new ability, uh, which basically, instead of allowing her to um, basically benefit from t- multiple tomes across the game, she can basically gather all her tomes at once and do like a big, like, Beat down. Hame Hame Tome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> With a dreamy far off look and her nose stuck in a book. Yeah. She really is a funny girl, that Daisy. Yeah, the, just that meme of Gaston looking at the book upside down. <laughs> and then a tentacle comes out and it's wrapped around his neck. <laughs> no, Gaston, not that one! No, not that no one. No one dies like Gaston, has no eyes like Gaston. <laughs> Exactly. Um, Crawls into the spaces between time, like Gaston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's a it's a parallel version of an investigator, which you can download and print for free now. Uh, also, the scenario Read or Die, which you can uh, download and print, uh, involves investigators exploring a mysterious library. Uh, ooh. Uh, and Daisy has to be one of the playable investigators however you this is important you do require the core game to actually play the scenario because uh, you'll need more than just one investigator um, mm. unless you play as multiple versions of Daisy 
and just have like a team of daisies. Look, yeah, nothing but daisies. They're parallel universes, so who knows? Into the Daisyverse. It's going to be like that <laughs> Tomb Raider game where you all play as Lara Croft, but one of you is like polygonal Lara Croft, and one of you is like oh, yeah. the Lara Croft no one remembers from Angel of Darkness. Oh, or the Murder by Death board game. Uh, Murder She Wrote, sorry, board game, where everyone plays as Angela Lansbury. Speaking mm. of Beauty and the Beast, of course. Yeah, yeah. there you go. All, a national treasure. All roads lead back to Beauty and the Beast. Angela Lansbury. Oh. Angela Lansbury, yeah. Uh, yeah, so... You can download and print that for free now. Uh, just make sure you have the core copy of the game or you know someone who does or something like that. Uh, yes. Cool. I uh, right. Now, hopefully, I can get out of Arkham Horror. <laughs> Finally. Uh, all right, let's whiz. We're running over a little bit of news because actually it's been a kind of newsy week. Uh, so let's whiz mm. through the last couple of things I have on this list. So one of these is very short. Basically, there's a limited edition Warhammer 40,000 model yeah. coming to shops, um, which is the Katachan Colonel. It's um, Dylan from Predator. Come on. Yeah, it very yeah, much is. Like there's a, even green blood on the leaf. He um, He's part of that little sub-faction where it's like... I think that that whole planet is basically just like predator troops. Yeah. So they like they were like, well, this is a an obvious one kind of thing. Yeah. So this is a um, games workshop. Obviously, the makers of Warhammer Forty Thousand announced this as kind of, it will be exclusive to friendly local retailers, uh, independent retailers, as kind of an effort to help them out. Obviously, due to the impact of the coronavirus and and whatnot. Um, word on the street, uh, the high street, if you will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Martin Lewis. Um, <laughs> Look, Matt's, on, Matt's on the street right now. Um, this is all anecdotal, but uh, I've had a few reports from folks uh, and smaller chains saying that they, they're only having literally two or three of these models. Yeah. Um, so they are actually quite... They are, in fact, very limited edition. Mm. Um, it would... Uh, well, it appears... Uh, but we don't know for sure. Games Workshop haven't said how many they are will be available in total. Um, but there have been reports that basically shops are getting in like two and having more than two people turn up going, "Hey, we really like this model." I'm going, "Sorry, mm. friends." Uh, but yeah, it seems seems cool. That's a nice little thing, uh, at least in concept. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if more became available. Like when they opened yeah. their fifth hundred mm. store, they released an exclusive Night Haunt model, and at first it was like, "You have to turn up." during this time like there the blood is moon. a two hour window during the blood moon where you can get hold of this model um, and then uh, my brother actually as a, as a gift got it for me like weeks later he wandered in and was like I want to get something for my brother he paints spooks and they were like we got you mate don't worry they like really tried to wow him uh, and so now I, I have the figure and it wasn't hard to get it turns out yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, finally on this list, Talisman Star Wars, which is a very short thing. Alex Meehan, over to you. Great. Oh. <laughs> Why do you torture me, Matt Jarvis? Because it's, today is Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> oh, no, Matt. You can't have Revenge of the Fifth and Revenge of the Sixth. You Sorry. absolutely can. I said yeah. it out loud, so technically Disney own me and everything I say now. <laughs> In the words of so Babu Frick, the hashtag. hey! So the hashtag that they buy you. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> In the words of a gonk droid, honk. Honk. <laughs> <laughs> um, no confirmation whether you can play as a gonk droid in uh, Star Wars Talisman, although you should. 
Oh, sorry, I need to word it correctly. Mm. Talisman colon Star Wars uh, is a new version of Talisman that's coming out um, from the publishers behind uh, the Risk Warhammer 40,000 and uh, the Batman Who Laughs Rising. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, uh, it's... Yeah, that game, you know, the classic one. It's um, bad. Huh? Here's my hot take on Talisman. It sucks. It's um, it's Combat Monopoly. <laughs> it's, yeah, I Combat do not like Monopoly. Talisman at all. I don't understand why people like it other than blind nostalgia. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> you can play <laughs> as Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader. Or... Here's my hot take on Star Wars. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> Kylo Ren, all those characters you like. Uh, Can you play as Ray? I don't know. Oh, this, they it. definitely haven't put Ray <laughs> in. Let's probably, she's on the front of the box. Oh, she is on that the would front be of funny the box. if she was on the front of the box, but not one of the playable characters. What about Rose Taiko? Very indicative. I've received <laughs> no confirmation whether Ray is in it, okay. but. Uh, as far as I know, you're racing to reach old Chief Palpatine, uh, who's squatting in the middle of the board. <laughs> <laughs> like physically. I am in the middle of the board. <laughs> um, Unlimited thigh strength. Because <laughs> of squats. That took me a minute. I like um, the idea of Palpatine delivering all the lines from Ring Fit Adventure. Where he's like, <laughs> Your sweat is so shiny and beautiful. Crush them between your thighs. <laughs> we um, have a policy of not buying turnips on Sunday. <laughs> uh, yeah, you have to make it through all the various encounters to go and see Palpatine, where you can decide whether you want to kill him. Wink. Have a palpatine party, or maybe not kill him because you know he has the tendency of coming back, mm. uh, or join him and reign as his apprentice. So not like as his, you know. Oh boy, we're equal in this. No, you can we're even <laughs> you can even choose to be his apprentice or just kill him. Would you like to commit murder or take an unpaid in? Much like the TV show, The Apprentice. Yeah. (laughs) Every time you strike down Alan Sugar, a new Alan Sugar replaces him. Strike me, Dan, and I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Oh, no, that was Obi-Wan. Oh, well. Anyway. That's my impression of Alan Sugar. (laughs) Talisman Star Wars. There we go. And then he There's a visual link a... between Obi Wan and Alan Sugar, I think. Yeah, they sure. Have a similar, similar style. Mm. Do they both turn into a pile of rags or not? <laughs> <laughs> Alan Sugar's been a pile of rags for a while. Um... <laughs> and he is wow! a lord, so uh, we can podcast. say he's uh, he's on the dark side. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> should we take some emails? The first yeah. one's from Alan Sugar. Uh... <laughs> You're fired, <laughs> <laughs> Matt Jarvis. Why don't you like Talisman? <laughs> I used to crush beetroots in my bare feet. Can you imagine the Alan Sugar voice story. mod for Ring Fit Adventure? <laughs> Come on, keep going. <laughs> uh, oh, let's take God. some emails. 
I really, yeah, to be honest, I'd probably exercise more if... I think if Palpatine was, definitely. I'd, I think I'd love that. He's very motivational, you know? It, hmm. you, you don't just have any old average show take over the galaxy and then suddenly return from death. Mm. But the thing is, he's so slow at talking that you'd be planking for like five minutes when he finishes That's a sentence. That's how he gets it. Yeah. True. That's how he gets it. And you can stop <laughs> now. <laughs> uh, Johnny, would you like to read this email from, let's say, Lee Russ on Twitter? Lee Russ. This email from Twitter. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yes, I've skipped. It's a it's a tweet. It's a reply. If you would like your question answered on the Dicebreaker podcast, tweet at us when we ask for questions or email contact at dicebreaker.com with the subject line DB space podcast. Or if you dig out a copy of Twilight Imperium 4 and whisper your question into the gravity rift, I shall hear it. <laughs> Lee Russ asks, are there any trends in the board games industry you'd rather see die out or any you'd like to see more of? Licensed dungeon crawlers. <laughs> <laughs> I think in general dungeon crawlers... Yeah, Wheels has taken my, my pick. Sorry. I'll say, um, yeah, Constant Monopoly recently. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was about to say Talisman spin-off. Hey. <laughs> uh, I also think fantasy. Just have done with it. Just generic. Yeah, like, just... style fantasy, yeah. There's so... We covered this on a previous podcast, but there's just so many things where it's just so bland. It's just you are a knight, a wizard, and a ranger. Mm. Go kill orc goblin. Just something more interesting. What ho, my Jarvis? What do you mean my adventures don't interest you? <laughs> Hell no, it's Robin oh. of Loxley. <laughs> I'm sorry, the fantasy genre. <laughs> um, for me, it is twig zany party games. Like, oh, God. I saw the news that Edmund McMillan... Uh, creator of the you know the binding of isaac which is one of my favorite video games of all time and i absolutely adore it and i think it's actually a much deeper game than people give it uh, credit for is launching not a video game journalist anymore johnny <laughs> <laughs> sorry i've read the old guy in my like um he's <laughs> launching a kickstarter for a game where you play as tapeworms and you play cutesy tapeworm cards to build a tapeworm and i'm just like stop just stop it i hate exploding kittens i hate imploding kittens i hate the unicorn poop thing you've got cramped is actually all right but I just, I, it's the, the, the glut of games that uninteresting people come to the pub with. And they're like, we've got to play this. It's so crazy. It's like, no, it's so bad. But what it feels to you is random. And that's what I hate. Like, I hate people who are like, I'm so random me as a, as a personality trait. And I hate the games that are made for those people. Mm. There, I said it. Adding to that, games that are just like, look how offensive it is. Because speaking mm. of tapeworm, uh, I got an email, I think last night or this morning, that was like, we're making a not safe for work version where you're actually all penises instead of worms. And it's just like, it just feels like chasing everything like that feels like it's just chasing the cards against humanity. Oh, we became successful because we give an excuse to people to say really terrible things. Yeah. And cards against humanity is still not good. No, so it's, it's like, it, as a base game, it is poor. All of yeah. the punchlines are pre-programmed. It's a, it's a game about telling someone else's jokes. Yeah, and punching down all the time. Mm. 
Any Yay! other uh, hot dunks? <laughs> hot dunks in the uh, in the chamber? Alan Sugar, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, I'm sick of the Apprentice board game. It's in every charity shop I go to. Um, what? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait! What was that one? Was it you found it the other day, Matt Jarvis? The the board. It wasn't Alan Sugar. Whose board game was oh, it? Oh gosh, it was Peter Jones of Dragon's Den. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh yeah, and didn't he actually on Dragon's Den? Wasn't there a a board game? I think at some point, Accentuate. I think, which is not a particularly great game. It's very I think much. Linky went through Dragon's Den, didn't it? Yeah, and they then became Big Potato. Speaking of yeah. John games that are always in John Lewis, Linky is the one. Good yeah. <laughs> Linky's actually okay. Like for a trivia game, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's a good app, actually. Yeah, it's a, it's a good little good little quiz app. Yeah, mm. Mr. Lister's Quiz Shootout also pretty good. Big potato quiz game. Uh, um, if no one's got any more <laughs> cool. hot dogs, right. <laughs> um, uh, pie face can take a take a jump. Take a yeah, pie to the well, face. It's not really a board game, is it? It's a yeah. kid's toy. Yeah. Uh, uh, when I mentioned that I do board games to my family, they were like extended family. They were like, "Oh, we love pie face." I was like, mm. <laughs> "That's like the equivalent of oh, my kid plays Fortnite." <laughs> <laughs> Wheels' endless feud with the city of Boston continues. <laughs> I thought we had a nice list. time when we went, Wheels, but apparently not. <laughs> I had a great time. I ate a cream pie. <laughs> I uh, had lots of cocktails. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Wheels, do you want to read this one from... Uh, I'd love to. Uh, hobby, hobby NM. Yeah. The Hubby. Uh, how long have you all been playing board games, and have your taste in games changed over that time? Personally, I felt that I'm enjoying more heavier games more as time goes on, and I find I enjoy light party games less and less. Um, I do think, like, party games, like, very light games, I tend to be like, eh. um, But I have been, like, I found myself enjoying more sort of, like, quite breezy abstract mm. stuff like Past Tally and things like that a lot more than I did when I first started. Um I tend to find, like, when I first started getting into board games, I was like, right, I need, like, the biggest, most complicated, amazing board games. And now I, like, I, I, de I definitely find myself appreciating the finer things kind of thing. Like, I appreciate the sort of, like, the softer kind of um, listen to some music and have a nice conversation whilst we play kind of things a lot more now. I think I'm quite similar to you in, in the sense that when I first started, I was like, I want something really heavy. I want something yeah. that really makes me feel like I'm playing a board game. And like, there are still lots of board games I play that are heavy that I absolutely adore. But I've stopped looking for games based on like weight or theme or anything. Mm. When I am looking for a new board game or selecting one to play of an evening, I've effectively become the middle-aged man patting the thighs of his corduroy trousers while he just goes mm, <laughs> along the shelf. Like I search based on vibe. And my, mm. my friends and I, we've sort of fallen into a pattern where it's like, what sort of things do we want to play tonight? It's No one will be like, I really want to play X. Um, it'll be like, can we have something, something relatively chilled? Like, how competitive are we feeling? La 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 la. Like, I, I'm more, that's the, the way I now think about board games. Um, oh, and I play far fewer social deduction games than I used to because you can burn out on those. To be honest, yeah, they're all, they're all really similar, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, def I was I was definitely a lot more into social deduction when I started. I, I think it's mm. there. There definitely has to be. I feel like there's there's been a lot of innovation in in a lot of different um, sort of like 
genres of board game and mm. social deduction they've always just been like it's this game but we've added this bit on top and it's yeah. always like yeah okay um, I, mean, I, I am waiting for the next sort of like oh that's interesting you know yeah I mean I've got a copy of Oriflam which I bought immediately after reading Matt's excellent review so on good. dicebreaker.com um, <laughs> for those of you listening Matt said so good in reference to the game not his review not a when we got to the point where we were reviewing our reviews yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah I can't wait for that because I mean I like hidden roles and I like deduction in that kind of way but I just I like it when it's backed up mm. by mechanics so it's why mm. I was why coup is still one of my most played games of all time is why I'm really looking forward to actually playing Oriflam Um even though the box slides out and is treacherous and you'll dump everything on the floor more than <laughs> you will actually open it the right way up. It's like toast. It always has to go butter side down. But um, yeah, I just, that's that's me anyway. I've talked too much. Shut up, Johnny. I'll say quickly on Oriflam, <laughs> A, it's really good. B, they recently put out two-player rules for it. Um, <gasps> so, and you essentially just play as two families each. But um, So it can be played with two people now because it was previously three to five. Um, well, but yeah, well. it's really good. I think it very much sits in that that vein of and my review kind of says this it's like it's like it's a little bit love letter because it's quite quick but it's got enough strategy where it's a it's not just random kind of drawing and quick elimination mm. it's a little bit coup because there's that bluffing element and i think like uh, you were all saying i think more and more because i love social deduction but i think more it's that element of just a little bit of bluffing goes a long way as part mm. of something else but when it's the whole thing sometimes like you say you just kind of burn out on it because once if 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 everyone doesn't kind of vibe in the right way or it kind of descends into just lying and kind of whatnot, like it takes a lot for a social deduction game to really feel, mm. you know, properly amazing. But a little bit of bluffing can just give another layer to a game, I think. Um, and so often, you know, that's, I think, where it's best deployed. I think, similar to you, Wills, I definitely still like big games, like you know Twilight Imperium is fantastic like I love Eclipse you know I will sit down and play something for four to six hours sometimes but then like Johnny more and more it's like something that just has a simple enough rule set but enough of a kind of like I don't need it to be super well balanced I don't need it to be you know that stuff is great but it's just what experience am I looking for and um like one of my favorite games of last year was Ancient Civilizations of the Inner Sea which has a terrible name um, but it's basically a Civ game. It's kind of simple. It's incredibly swingy because you just play cards to screw each other over with plagues or earthquakes or volcanoes or, you know, it's it's all over the place. But it's an experience that's just so much fun. And it can play, you know, it can play in two to four hours or you can play it in half an hour and just stop at the end of one era. Um, and it's just really, really good. I think for me, I started out as being a bit scared of like really big complicated things because, uh, you know, I was part of a group of people who were a lot more experienced in board gaming than I was. So I started out with like, yeah, like beginner board games, you know, social deduction games, that kind of malarkey. Um, so now over the past few years, I found myself wanting to be challenged like a lot more but still I'm not I still wouldn't describe myself as really enjoying like complicated like point salad style games so like 
like really thick heavy euro games where you have to like manage several different you know aspects at once although saying that you know scythe is becoming quickly a game that i really like Hmm. so i think i'm slowly dipping my toe in the water of the kind of games that i would often have been too you know embarrassed or scared to play um i'm still finding myself not hugely fan of like intensely competitive style games i always will lean into co-op experiences more um also like just theme is still like a really important aspect to me so like themes were something that got me into board gaming to start with so games like yeah like pandemic like shadows over camelot like betrayal at house on the hill you know the kind of games where they have like fairly straightforward mechanics but like it was the really strong theming that kind of put them above and beyond other examples um but like i'm finding you know themings mixed with really interesting mechanics so like lately i've gotten obsessed with deck building games Uh, i've always kind of liked deck building games so like one of the first games i played was dominion which is like the beginner's deck building game but like since then i've kind of like dipped in and out of it but like recently i've just become really obsessed with the genre um I just want to play Arkham Horror real bad at the moment. I think keep... you've... Sorry, carry on. No, I, I just was... keep writing news stories about it. Yeah, fair. I was going to say, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head when it comes to theming, because I think you can get a game that could be anything but has a theme slapped on the top of it, and that is fine. But when a game's mechanics really embody mm. elements from that theme, it's so exciting because yeah, that's huge for me yeah you get those moments of recognition where you're like oh that's clever no wait that's brilliant because mm-hmm. it is like the thing that we're playing yeah. um also i know you said shadows over camelot but for a second my brain heard shadows over camel up and i'm just now <laughs> imagining what that board game would be it's, it's like a legacy version of camel up where some kind of horrible big business has come up and bought up all the good camels you can choose to add extra humps to your camel with stickers and if just you one camel with 17 humps you have I to slash your camel own camel's up. throat if you come last i would eat I that we, up i think we we had that um that same exact experience when we played Fort for the first time at, um, at PAX, oh. where we were just like every single mechanic, you were like, "Oh, that's so cute and clever!" Like everything was just like, "Yeah, this exists because of um, what you would expect." Mm. Like it's oh. it's mm. such a good way of teaching as well. Like when when rules just make sense because they make mm. sense in the context of the theme, it makes yeah. it so easy to grasp onto things like that. Because yeah, like, people are just like, "Oh, game. of course, yeah." <laughs> like I've always. So I've always loved Dead of Winter, for example. Mm-hmm. Like at the first time I played Dead of Winter, I was like, "Oh, this is great," because it's like a cocktail of some really like little mechanics mixed up into like a co-op game, with a mm. theme. You know, zombies is the most original thing, but I think the artwork uh, and the writing for the game kind of elevates it above just like the hundreds and thousands of zombie games out there. Mm. Uh, but like in the last few years you know since i've been examining board games a lot more from a critical angle and like playing a lot more like games like dead of winter have just like what what happened bless you sneeze, right yeah, yeah that was my <laughs> sorry i didn't realize <laughs> um <laughs> it sounded like a creepy ghost i was like 
what was that? Um, but no, like games are like like Dead of Winter has only become more like, oh wow, like this is because of how cleverly it like integrates, like having a traitor mechanic. You know, traitor mechanics. There was a time it might be now where like traitor mechanics are uber popular. Um, but like having that in a game like Dead of Winter, where like that atmosphere is so like foreboding and like you feel like you're up against it. Having someone in your own team who is mm. secretly against you, you don't know who they are, and if they're doing a good job, you know, they're not going to be caught. Like, it just makes the whole experience so much more engaging because you're like, oh wow, like there's even more stacked against us. Um, yeah. Perfect. Mm, yeah. Uh, let's take one very quick last one. Alex Meehan, would you like to read this one from Oliver Gerlach? Or Gerlach? Gerlach? Uh, I apologise, Oliver, if I've mispronounced Oliver Gerlach, writing a question on Twitter for you to read out. What's it about? <laughs> uh, I love that. Um, Oliver asks, do you see base systems or do you 20 base systems? What do you think are the advantages and disadvantages of each? Personally, I'm a big fan of simple D6 pools. Johnny. I have extremely strong opinions about this. I know I keep going first, but... Uh, a D6 all the way. Forever. Forever and ever and ever. I can see you grimacing over Skype wheels, but shut up and listen. No, I... Yeah, carry on. Um, D- D20 systems are fun, and they're fine, and, you know, like, I play a bunch of games that, that use them, but there's just something about D6 systems that um, it's very easy for players to understand, because mm. if something is helping you, you're grabbing more dice. If you are bad at something, you have fewer dice. Um, so you can... You can feel it in your hand whether or not you should feel good about this roll. You're like, well, I'm only rolling two or three dice here. You know, like if I playing Shadowrun with my characters toward the end of the campaign, if I picked up 66, I was like, Oof, I'm not feeling great about this. Whereas when I would uh, make a magic, like I cast a spell, I'd be picking up 17. And it's it's a it's a very quick way of calculating successes across a broad range of of skills. Uh, and possible like levels of competency and b it's just fun it is just fun to huck that much plastic at a table and then start picking out all of the ones that have passed a certain threshold it makes mm. you feel really powerful in a way that crunching the numbers in your head doesn't it's why abacus is a cool and writing numbers down on a pencil and paper is for dorks <laughs> oh shut up I think <laughs> yeah. I didn't stick the landing but the point stands <laughs> I think like 2d6 Although there's something exciting about using a die that isn't in every board game ever made and doesn't remind yeah. you of Monopoly. But there's something really nice about 2D6 where it's like if you get Snake Eyes or you get Double Six, there's something really exciting about that. And I find it way more exciting than rolling a 1 or a 20 on a D20. Mm-hmm. Like a D20 is almost a little too granular. I think actually like, and I'd rather roll 2D6 than like a D12. I think actually Powered by the, the Apocalypse... The system, which uh, was used in the Root RPG and Worldwide Wrestling, uh, playthroughs of which are both available on youtube.com forward slash dicebreaker. Um, the more I play of that system, the more I absolutely love it. Because A, it's very simple. Like you say, Johnny, it's just like, okay, it's fail, partial success, full success. But also, because you're just chucking two dice 
Like, you're not trying to squint at a tiny number on a d20. You're not going like, oh, what's a 17 versus a 16? It's just like, bam, you know, it's likely to be a single digit number. If you roll doubles, amazing. If you roll double ones, that sucks. You know, you just look at it and you have that instinctive feeling of like, I rolled a double six. Holy crap, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I think um, I do. I do like systems where multiple d6s are involved, but I do. There is just something about a d6 that feels very unimpressive. Like I, I think there mm-hmm. is just like, uh, like you said, it's like it's the dice that everyone are, have used for for ages, and it doesn't feel very special to roll to me. I do. I do agree that having a big clump of dice in your hands is always good, mm-hmm. but I think because I've played so much Warhammer, like yeah. the amount of d6 that you have to roll sometimes in that game. I've just got like PTSD from like, oh god, right, okay, someone passed me forty dice, <laughs> and I think that maybe is like slightly affecting uh, uh, like my opinion of it. But I think the the in betweener dice don't get enough love in systems. Like I really love D10s. I think D10s mm. are so readable um, because you always have a it's it's a twenty percent chance, it's a forty percent chance. It's so like um, just completely. Um, ingrained in what you can see on the die it's like if someone says you need to roll a seven or lower you're like bang i know exactly what the odds are straight away whereas if you ask for do 2d6 instantly my head is just like because my my brain just doesn't do maths mm-hmm. and i think like like tools like that make it really easy for people to jump on and be like okay i know exactly how likely i am to succeed at this kind of thing mm. i will say also, I just love the shapes of them <laughs> in, the, in the D&D campaign i'm playing in we've it's this is the most laddie thing i'll ever say on this podcast but it started <laughs> as a joke um but we go tops off for 20s uh, if someone rolls a crit you just everyone takes their top off it's great um what happens if you roll a one you know we've not we've not gone that far but yeah um it's just yeah bit of fun it makes it makes the number 20 a bit more exciting i suppose mm-hmm. yeah mm, they're, they're yeah possi- i do think D- d20 is such like a um ingrained die because of um dungeons and dragons but in actual fact like they, they are they can be like a bit unwieldy mm. like mm. then there needs to be a you know people need to reclaim the middle dice <laughs> d10s and d8s <laughs> seize the means of dice production what were you gonna say man i was gonna say uh the possibility of nudity is like what what excites you about the d20 i yeah. mean like for me the d20 is like a weird dice like a die that i was introduced to when i first played like D. i was like what is this strange contraption uh the shape of it is weird i'm a fan of a d8 personally but mm. um in terms of the d6 system versus d20 I'm yeah more on the side of the D6 because I think D20, even though obviously you've got modifiers, but like the gap, you know, the the fail potential there, it just feels so much more like yeah, like the the vastness between zero and twenty, and how much it could potentially change the outcome. This seems really open to me whereas like the d6 scenario i feel like there's more like control there especially if it's a system where yeah you just add dice like additional dice on depending on how you know competent you are why are people smiling apologies if you heard that my cat just sneezed (laughs) why is it always me when i'm talking like like the 
people are sneezing everywhere. Like, I'm sorry. It, people she's are not allergic. a people, she's a cat. We're allergic to your opinions, Mian. <laughs> Holly. Wow. Keep it down, would you? Mian says, shut up. <laughs> yeah, Holly. Yeah, Holly. I do really like systems that where you roll multiple dice, but then you take the best result, like Blades. Mm. Like, that's that feels <clears> nice. Because <throat> then it's like, well, I only need one of these to do well. And then, like, the more dice you have, you're like, yeah, okay, cool. Surely one of these will do well, kind mm. of thing. Rather than adding lots of things up, which I feel like can, can really slow things down. Mm. Side note to this, Pips all the way on D6s. I don't like D6s mm. with numbers written on them. Yeah. But, uh... Pip me up! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, I think that's basically all the time we've got, but let's close out by telling the folks what's coming up on Dicebreaker this week. Video, two-thirds of video team, Vidi, does that make Lolis the O? Anyway, <laughs> Wills and Johnny, what's coming up on the video side? Don't give me that look, Wills, I'm trying to riff. He's just trying to, he's <laughs> trying to assign the syllables. Um, I'll be D, since there's a good old D knee. I was going to say, I'll be the id. <laughs> hey, very good. Um, well, um, we what have we coming up? Um, we've covered Gloomhaven recently. We're covering Frosthaven and why we like it. Um, uh, as I say, the first part of the Deadlands, uh, let's say it's already gone up. Uh uh, what have we got coming up next week? Ironically, we've kind of we've kind of talked about all the stuff that we're doing this week on the podcast. Mm. Yeah, I'll have a quick look at the schedule. Um, um, we're doing another painting stream this coming Thursday. If anyone wants to have a fun, chilled time and watch us paint miniatures, um, I might try and see if I can paint up an entire warband in two hours just to see how far that gets me. Because I'm, I, I remembered halfway through recording this podcast that I've got the Elder Scrolls call, call to Arms um, mm. waiting for me to play it and review it um, and so far I have assembled precisely two models because they were fiddly and I got annoyed and I went and had a snack instead uh, so maybe I think this week I'll, I'll assemble some Stormcloaks and then I'll do the Stormcloak voice while painting them Fantastic and also for folks who've missed any Dungeon Breaker, that's all up and there's time to catch yes, up while we're doing Deadlands Yes, mm-hmm. the entirety of our, our series in uh, Eberron rising from the last war. Yeah, I think that's... Eberron the... rising. Eberron <laughs> rising. Uh, that's now available on YouTube. It's got the world's greatest goblin. It's got mm-hmm. a dinosaur named after the man who wrote Thong Song. It's, if, you, if that sounds off the wall, brace yourself, because that, that, <laughs> that's barely scratching the surface. Yeah, that's where it starts. Uh, and what an ending my goodness uh, and over on the website Alex Meehan you've got an interview coming up that's very exciting yeah so I mentioned it last week but um, yes uh, by the time you're listening to this there'll be an interview with Mr. Matt Mercer uh, from Critical Role um, mm. I spoke to him about uh, the new source book Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, uh, and also his general process as a DM and as a world builder. Uh, it's a really interesting read, I hope, uh, and it was really nice to talk to him. Uh, also up from last week is uh, our top uh, video game board games list. Uh, so as we were talking about Gloomhaven the video game earlier, 
Uh, we're now talking about board game versions of video games. So we're talking Street Fighter, XCOM, This War of Mine, oh, so Portal. Uh, some real bangers there. If you liked board game the video game, <laughs> you'll love video game the board game. <laughs> oh man, I I would I would kill to play a game of XCOM with you all right now. I'm with that great. tablet. Turn that yeah. puppy up so still you can hear yeah, all the right noises. Yeah, yeah. I played very little of the board game XCOM, but I absolutely love XCOM, so I would be. I love the video game, so I have yeah. not tried the board game. Well, so the, I would the board game is like very similar to the video game in the sense that the entire time you're just stressed out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds <laughs> great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in um, a good way, you know. Yeah, and if the person who's controlling the miniatures makes bad rolls uh, in the combat phase. Uh, you can yell at them, even though it's categorically not their fault. It's brilliant. <laughs> uh, yeah, the also, combat phase of that game is very small, though. Like, most of it is, yeah. like, making Just, decisions. Oh, quit, we're, we're podcasting again. Stop. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, what? <laughs> We're trying to sign off. <laughs> it's fine. No, I was just going to say other things on the website already up is a look at the Pathfinder Adventure Path campaigns, which was very interesting, mm-hmm. uh, which are kind of like pre-linked campaigns they've been running for a while. I think they actually started as D&D campaigns um, before they moved over to Pathfinder. Um, but someone whose name I can't recall, Preston Dozza, wrote that, and it was a, a really good read. Uh, also up this... Well, maybe this week, maybe next, but soon after you listen to this podcast, or potentially already, will be my review of Undaunted uh, North Africa, which will be a mm. fuller kind of look at it. But as you can already tell, I think it's really, really good. Uh, but yeah, basically, there's a lot on the way. So keep tuned, you cool D8s and D10s. D12, best die. D12s. Calling it now. M&M. M&M and the entire D12 uh, crew. <laughs> <laughs> Please stay tuned. <laughs> wow. Are D12 oh, still a thing? I surely not. I don't know. We should get D12 on to rate the dice. I'm sure they'll be up for it. Yeah, um, I'm, I too enjoy 10 minute lead-ins to a single punchline. <laughs> that is not a that is not sarcasm. I genuinely do. Wow. Oh goodness. All right, uh, and so yeah, uh, dicebreaker.com is the place you want to go for the web stuff. YouTube.com slash dicebreaker is where you want to go for the video stuff, including our, we didn't mention for Revenge of the Sixth and Revenge of the Fifth oh God. and May the Fourth. Uh, for goodness. Uh, our read through of the Choose Your Destiny Star Wars game book, which. Con- containing the greatest F bomb ever dropped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goodness me! You I can should only apologize for viewer it. discretion advised. <laughs> yes, uh, but that was very good fun. Uh, so go and check that out. That's on our YouTube channel now. Also, uh, gosh, there's so many links to drop at the end of this. But it's a plug. It's got more plugs than a than an outlet <laughs> an of the bath store. <laughs> I, that one was there. We pulled it off. Uh, if you want dicebreaker merchandise, such as this big deck energy shirt, what I am wearing. Um, dicebreaker.myshopify.com is the place to go where we have two new shirts uh, Big Deck Energy and Be Nice Roll Dice um, and we will have more shirts arriving very soon so go check it out okay I think we're done plugging everything under the sun now so thank you very much for listening and thank you very much Johnny Chiodini you're welcome 
Thank you very much, Alex Meehan. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, Michael F-Bomb Wheels. Anytime, bud, anytime. Uh, I've been Matt Jarvis. Uh, We'll be back next Friday. Until then, have a lovely day. Bye. Bye.